Tonight's sermon title is Intimacy with God. Being where Jesus is. Intimacy with God. Being where Jesus is. Let's pray together. Almighty God who has revealed to your church your eternal being, glorious majesty and perfect love. As one God, trinity of persons, give us grace to continue steadfast in the confessions of this faith and love and be constant in worship of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who lives and reigns one God forever and ever. And now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. So tell me about your Father. Tell me about your relationship with your Father. Tell me about your relationship with your Father. This is an important question. This is a question asked by my friend and mentor, Jerry. He's a Baptist pastor here in Alexandria. And he sat me down for lunch and asked me this question a few weeks ago. It's a question that helps shape and define who we are. It shapes our faith and how we see God. See, growing up, I did not have a consistent and constant presence of my father. My mom and dad were separated and divorced from the time I was a year old. And I remember being with my father from three o'clock to five o'clock in the afternoon. And that's how I knew him. He would pick us up for weekly visits, honking the horn outside. We would get in his car, spend time with him, and he would take us to evening discipleship and prayer meetings at his parents' home where he lived. And then my grandparents would take us home. As a young boy, I remember wanting to know my father more, to be with him more. I longed for a relationship that I did not have and did not even understand. I felt an element of responsibility for my father and his illness, a responsibility for the relationship, an obligation to pursue my father, to pursue this relationship. I, I felt this from, a, from as early as I could remember. I felt that it was up to me to make the relationship work. In my childlike little mind, I thought it was my responsibility to, to connect with him and to relate with him. On one occasion as my 11-year-old or 12-year-old self, I called my father to ask him if he would like to spend some time together. He said yes and that he would be over to get me. He usually pulled up outside, as I said, and honked the horn. So I thought it would be okay if I went across the street to the neighbor's house where we played in a friend of mine's garden. We had this huge G.I. Joe fortress in the backyard garden, and we had all the pieces. And uh, we could get lost in that garden for, for days. Well, that day I became so engaged with playing with my toys in the neighbor's garden that the honking of a distant horn annoyed me and distracted me from my play. It got more intense and steady, but then it faded. It was only an hour or so later after I had returned home that I realized that I had stood my father up, that I had forgotten about my father. I missed the opportunity to be with him. I was heartbroken. 
The reality of my failure to keep my end of the arrangement and the feelings of loneliness, abandonment, shame, and responsibility overwhelmed my little mind. And still can today, as I think about it, and as I share this story with you. Some of you can relate to this story. Others of you may not be able to relate or connect with this story very well. Either way, I think most of us can agree that our relationship with our fathers shape us. Whether you're male or female, you've been shaped for good or for ill by the relationship with your dad. Our relationships with our earthly father are often projected onto our relationship with our heavenly father. Even if we have the best of dads, we can be let down. My daughter was let down as we went to CBS to pick up youth group supplies today and I, I purchased nothing for her. And she had thought that I had done her some severe wrong. And maybe I did. But even if you have a good father, you're shaped. God doesn't always give me good gifts. God doesn't always give me what I think I need, deserve, or should have. Our desire for our Heavenly Father and our desire for intimacy with our Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Father's intimacy and desire to have intimacy with us is an interesting thought. But here with our Heavenly Father, it is God who does the initiate. I love how John says it in 1 John 1, it's 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. A.W. Tozer says it this way, God is always previous. We love because he first loved us. It is God who pursues us. It is not our responsibility. It's not up to us to pursue God, for God has already been pursuing you from the foundation of the world. We also see this clearly in our, our gospel reading tonight. We see this intimacy in Jesus' high priestly prayer. Now this is a pretty big prayer. It's all of John chapter 17. We've got the last third. It's broken up into thirds. The first third is Jesus' prayer to his Father for himself. The second third is Jesus' prayer to his Father for his disciples. And the last third of the high priestly prayer is Jesus' prayer for you and for me, for us. Jesus says, I do not only pray for them, but for those who will believe because of their word about me. And that's us. That's the church today. Let's listen again. Jesus prays, verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their, the disciples' word. That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's huge. The implications of that verse, Jesus is inviting us to relate to the triune God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you know that God has never been alone? God is not alone, and God has never been alone because He's always been in relationship with Himself. God has been relating to the Son. God has been relating to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been relating to the Son. The Holy Spirit has been relating to the Father. God is in intimate relationship with Himself. And He created us out of an overflowing love that He would invite us into this love relationship. Not because He needs us. God does not need you. So you're certainly not responsible for the relationship he desires for you to have with himself. God created you not, not out of a need for you, but out of a desire to love you and relate intimately with you. So that you could experience the love relationship, the dance of the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To be one with him. Jesus is saying, we are loved. We are loved like Jesus is loved by the Father. See, growing up, I used to be jealous in the playgrounds at school when I would see fathers with sons. And I would think about what I've missed out upon. But here, this passage is saying, that the intimate love relationship of God the Father with the Son, that is what each of us has. None of us have been cheated. None of us are without the Father's perfect love. In Christ Jesus, you have missed nothing of God's love for you. Why? So that the world may also know this love. We're in a series at our 8.30 and 10 o'clock service on, on the church. And the church is God's people. And God wants the world to be a part of his church. Verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. See, this is the basis of for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That they may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. 
Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be where I am. Jesus wants us to be where he is. And wouldn't any father want his child to be where he is? Wouldn't any good, healthy, healed, redeemed father want his children to be where he is? Why? To see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you have loved me. When? Before the foundation of the world. Before all things were made, this love exists in the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you and know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them. God desires that the love of the Father for the Son be also in us, that there would never be a time where we do not feel, experience, and are sure of God's love. Whether we feel it or not, actually, just the experience that it is so. Whether we know it or not. Intimacy with God. Communion with God as being where Jesus is. God desires oneness with His children. God desires intimacy with us. And our God initiates this intimacy with His children. God takes on the responsibility. God pays the price. He is the one who sacrifices for this love. Think of it. Greater love has no man than this, Jesus said in chapter 15. Then he laid his life down for his friends. That's the 15th chapter of John before this prayer. John has already laid this groundwork out for him in his gospel. Greater love has no one than this. Then he laid his life down for his friends. And you are my friends. If you do what I command you, Jesus has said, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. Everything that the Father has made known to me, I've made it known to you. That you might go and bear more, much fruit. We find communion with God. We find intimacy with God. And we find oneness with God when we are where Jesus is. And Jesus is now. Here. He is here. As a father of two children of my own, I am beginning to see more clearly the heart of God for his children. My daughter Grace often says to me, Daddy, I always love you and I always want to be with you. When she says this, my heart explodes with love for her. And of course, I feel the same way. I always love her and I always want to be with her. This is the father's heart for his child. This is what any good friend, this is what any good parent does. I have a, a young man that I mentor. He comes into town for weeks at a time and he prays down at David's tent. And I know that things have been a little hard for him and his father. 
I went to see him. I woke up at 3 a.m. to be where he is. Why? Just so he knows I love him. Because I knew that if I showed up at 3 a.m., he'd get it. He would understand. I have another friend who I met at the Museum of the Bible who was in my car just the other day. I invited him to come to lunch with me with some youth pastors. And he couldn't get out of that place quick enough to come with me to be where I am. He came to my ordination. I get it. He loves me. He cares for me. He wants to be with me. This is how God feels about us. Jesus said, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Many of us have felt or even currently feel that God is absent or distant. We feel like God is nowhere in our lives. When you looked at this card, maybe you saw that God is nowhere. Maybe you didn't see that God is now here. But because of what's going on in your life, maybe you feel that God is nowhere in your life. But as believers in Jesus, God, through the power and presence of His Holy Spirit, God is now here with us through the power and presence of His Spirit. This is what we see in Ephesians 1, verses 13 through 14. Hear the testimony of the follower of Jesus from Paul as he writes, In Him, Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in Him and were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Jesus is saying, I'll be here until you get here. If we experience God as nowhere in our lives, we must recognize where Jesus is. He's with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And then we join Him, we recognize He's there, we believe Him, we trust Him. And when we are where Jesus is, we will find that God is now here. God is with us. We do this as we experience God with, with us, as we believe Him and trust Him. Trust in, trusting in what He has said and promised. We receive the pro Father's promised presence, and we receive the invitation of our Father's love. This is what Jesus said earlier in John 14, verses 1 through 4, when Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus loves us and desires to be with us. And he is indeed preparing a place for us so that he can be with us. And in the meantime, he has taken up residence in us if you were a follower of Jesus. 
And if you're not a follower of Jesus, he would like that very much. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock in Revelation 3. If anybody hears the sound of my voice and opens, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. But you have to open the door. Jesus is not going to kick it in. He's not going to intrude. But he's saying, I'm here to be with you. God is now here. God is with us now. This is the promise of Jesus which proceeds. The high priestly prayer in John 14 and 16, when Jesus says that he is going to prepare this place. He gives us the promise of his spirit. Listen to the words of John 14, 15 through 17. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the father. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells in you. He dwells with you and will be in you. God is now here. God is present with us. And in John 16, 7 through 8, Jesus promised, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Then the helper will come to you. If I go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. God is now here. One commentator makes this conclusion of John 17, and it's where we'll land tonight. It was very important to Jesus that this world would be persuaded that Israel's God sent Jesus. That this God loves the disciples of Jesus. This is us. The disciples of Jesus. And he loves us as much as he loves Jesus himself. The world must see first that Jesus is from God. And then understand God's love for Jesus' followers is as strong as his love and approval for Jesus himself. Jesus' attitude shows he has a deep love and abiding care for his children and for the world. God loves us and is present with his sons and daughters. And God loves and is present with all of his children, as he is with his very own son. May we experience the presence and love of Jesus. May we experience deep intimacy with God. May we experience presence with God as we find ourselves where Jesus is. May we experience the present love of our Father in heaven and that we would experience that God is now here. Hasten, O Father, the coming of your kingdom, and grant that we, your servants, who now live by faith, may with joy behold your Son of his coming, in glorious majesty, even Jesus Christ, our only mediator and advocate. O God, you have made us in your own image. 
You've redeemed us through Jesus Christ, your Son. Look with compassion on us, the whole, whole human family, and take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our lives and our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us from you and from one another. And unite us in the bonds of love and love for you and for one another. And work through our struggles and confusion to accomplish your purposes here on earth as your church. That in your good time all nations, races may be present with you and serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.